When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SCP-4246, The Lassomania, or The Dreams of the Firstborn. The Ancient Astronauts Hypothesis, or Ancient Aliens, is a fairly popular one for both fictional stories and non-fictional pseudoscientific study. The concept is pretty simple, that in the early days of humanity, extraterrestrials visited Earth and made contact with humans, to varying degrees. H.P. Lovecraft's Cthulhu Mythos is one of the earliest examples of this concept, particularly in his story At the Mountains of Madness, which involves explorers in Antarctica stumbling upon an ancient city built by non-humans, or The Call of Cthulhu, which details a sunken city populated by the titular eldritch monstrosity, who hailed from beyond the stars. The SCP universe has often touched upon various alien species, including some that predate humanity on Earth, but SCP-4246 is one that is heavily influenced by Lovecraft's works, with its own twist on things. Of note, before we get into what exactly 4246 is, we can see that it's given the Archon object class, which means that While it could theoretically be contained by the Foundation, it's actually better off if it's left uncontained. We'll see why that is later, of course. SCP-4246 primarily manifests as a morbid, psychological condition involving dreams, hallucinations, delusions, and fixations of a singular relation to the ocean and its contents. Individuals affected by this condition display significant behavioral changes, including the development of abnormal neuropathologies. Most of them will eventually come to interpret their anomalous experiences as spiritual visions of some sort, which they take to convey some revelations or esoteric knowledge. This then ultimately leads to the creation of cults and related organizations. Frequently reported elements of the 4246 condition include visions of sprawling and colossal cities beneath the sea, displaying alien architecture, and composed of a material described as smooth, seamless, glassy, and black. They also include visions of gardens of coral, displaying indescribable colors, an uncontrollable psychological urge to immerse themselves in seawater, often to the point of self-endangerment and hallucinations involving symbols of unknown origin or context, usually manifesting as short, rapid flashes that leave fleeting imprints upon their vision. These visions have been known to trigger dizziness, vertigo, post-traumatic stress, psychosis, mania, and or depression, homicidal or suicidal thoughts and behavior, and the development of new hallucinations. These new hallucinations are described by individuals as being incapable of being expressed or described in words, 
but are unquestionably traumatic. Afflicted individuals have been known to kill both family and friends in an effort to save them from an ill-defined but nevertheless impending cataclysm. Individuals also report sensations similar to phantom pain or body integrity identity disorder, in which they feel that they are missing limbs that have otherwise never existed. They understand that this feeling is illogical and that the human body normally has four limbs, but continue to experience these sensations regardless. Some individuals have described phantom pain registering up to 12 meters away from their bodies, as if the non-existent appendages were significantly longer than their actual limbs. There are several cases of afflicted individuals removing the limbs of others and attempting to graft them onto their own bodies, with fatal results. Ultimately, the majority of afflicted individuals will eventually self-terminate by drowning in the ocean, with only a minority of cases able to resist this urge. Affected individuals are divided into three different subtypes, A, B, and C. Type A individuals are the most common, generally displaying one or more of the previously described symptoms. It's unknown how many of these individuals are out there, but they're generally self-containing, easily countered by the propagation of disinformation. Type B individuals, however, exhibit extrasensory perception, such as the ability to identify information hidden from normal senses, as well as preternatural knowledge of a person's thoughts and memories. Following decades of research, it's been determined that Type B individuals are passive receivers, unwillingly absorbing information via ESP, but unable to actively transmit it. Of course, we won't get to learn about what the Type C individuals are until later in the document. The earliest known effort to catalogue and explain this phenomena was by English occultist Joseph Adler, the leader of the Hermetic Order of Universal Wisdom, an organization devoted to the study and practice of the occult, metaphysics, and paranormal activities during the late 19th and early 20th centuries. In his book, The Drowned Kingdoms, or The Eternal Dreams of the Firstborn, he discusses his lifelong visions of astral exploration of the ruins of a long-forgotten race which he refers to as the Firstborn. Other names for these Firstborn include the Drowned Gods, the Forebears, and the Elder Race. While claims involving lost worlds and civilizations were a popular concept at the time, Adler's work includes extensive interviews with other Type A individuals, referred to in his work as dreamers. Adler made accurate scientific conclusions describing concepts such as plate tectonics, evolution, memetics, and physics, including the debunking of the existence of Mu and Lemuria, which were popular with both scientists and occultists at the time. On October 29, 1920, Adler and nine of his followers attempted a mass astral projection or out-of-body experience, in the hopes of learning more about the firstborn. The attempt resulted in the deaths of all nine followers, three by heart attack, two from intracranial hemorrhage, and four by self-termination. Adler himself survived, 
but was rendered permanently blind, and would die the following year. Before then, he was interviewed by a doctor from the Foundation while at a hospital in England. Despite the doctor introducing himself as Dr. White, Adler immediately says that he is not from here, calling him by his real name of Schroeder, and saying that his arrival was foretold in the tendrils. Schroeder was not made aware of his anomalous capabilities, with Adler's dossier suggesting that he was not sane whatsoever. Adler assures him that he is the epitome of sanity, but Schroeder doesn't really buy that, calling him a man so consumed by madness that he tore out his own eyes. He asks how can someone do such a thing and still claim to be sane. Adler simply responds that he had no choice, and asks him how knowledgeable he is regarding the deep sea. Schroeder says that this isn't his area of expertise, so Adler continues, saying that the ocean has always fascinated him. In dreams, since youth, he plumbed the depths of the pelagic abyss and beheld with awe the long-forgotten edifices of the elder race. He says that we fear the dark and cold embrace of her undulating vastness, but despite this fear, she inspires within our hearts a singular curiosity. One day man will know that world. He goes on to explain what the depths do to the human body, with the pressure crushing your organs and shattering your bones. That's why submersibles must be built strong, and in time man will create something capable of enduring the true abyss. The human mind is not so different from such a vessel, as it can only dive so deep before this, gesturing to his lack of eyes. He says that he looked too far, beheld that which no man should ever see, horrors beyond conception and perception. He looked too far, and something did not appreciate his gaze. Compared to man, the firstborn were as gods, and if they could not stop it, what chance do we have? The log ends at this point, with the closing statement being that Adler appears to be a true telepath. Operatives arrived at the hospital the next day with the intention of taking Adler into Foundation custody, but he was discovered unresponsive in his room, and was later declared deceased. The cause of death was indeterminate, but was thought at the time to be the result of untreated pneumonia aggravated by recent trauma. Among his belongings was an unfinished draft of a map depicting an unknown location, initially believed to be an uncharted island, as the apparent coastline failed to coincide with any known location, and the etching itself offered no sense of scale. All efforts to find the island failed, and the map was dismissed as irrelevant until 1956. Type A individuals would continue to be tracked and observed, while Type Bs would be contained by the Foundation. It was eventually discovered in 1954 that Type B individuals are not actually psi-positive, but are merely receiving information sent and or displaced by an outside force. A new method of psi assessment was developed, at which point it was discovered that Type Bs require a subject relatively nearby to read, suggesting that displaced information decayed the further it moved from its original source, or that it was dependent on the number of sources, not distance traveled. 
In such a case, two type Bs on opposite ends of the world would be able to read each other's minds clearly, as long as there were no other minds to dilute this information. During various interviews of type B individuals, a significant difference arose between cases where interviewers knew the questions and answers in advance, and cases where they were not aware of them before the interview. In the former case, type Bs were able to ascertain any information held by the interviewer, but in the latter there would be a delay between 1 to 12 seconds. With enough simultaneous interviews going on, researchers concluded that the 4246 phenomena required approximately 12 seconds to reach Foundation Site 744 from its point of origin. This suggests that 4246 is likely a frequency of unknown wavelengths, significantly slower than electromagnetic radiation, but potent enough to cause information displacement or amplification receivable by an unknown number of individuals. A statement from Foundation Dr. Baker says that the origin of 4246 could theoretically be located by transferring Type B individuals to sites around the world and conduct interviews to determine how long it takes each to receive information. Unfortunately, after running said experiment, the results suggested that rather than having a singular point of origin, the signal is being transmitted from multiple points. One other important detail was gleaned from the experiment, however. The delay in receiving information was dramatically decreased with proximity to the ocean, with inland seas and freshwater bodies displaying no such influence. For reasons unknown, the Atlantic Ocean resulted in a relatively longer delay compared to the Pacific Ocean, but regardless, the source of 4246 is in the sea. Coinciding with this study was a separate study that noticed that certain, not previously described habits often manifested among the more artistically disposed individuals affected by 4246. These included depictions resembling the partially drafted map of Joseph Adler. An estimated 12,000 distinct images were compared and combined, along with Adler's original draft, creating a complete map displaying intricate cities and geographical features. Despite the incredible amount of detail, approximately 20% of the map was empty space, primarily in the form of a large, C-shaped mass. The original hypothesis of the map was that it depicted a lake rather than an inland, but in 1956, when the Foundation began to accept plate tectonic theory, researchers came to the realization that all previous interpretations of the map were wrong. The image's empty space actually depicted the supercontinent of Pangaea, which had existed during the late Paleozoic and early Mesozoic eras. The detailed portion of the map, complete with all the markings of civilization, actually depicted the ocean floor. Foundation researcher Dr. Gartner put out a statement saying that, at first, they didn't know what to think of the complete map, as it may as well have been some intangible dreamscape born of the collective subconscious of 4246 affected individuals. Then, scientific consensus became a quick and integral ally and the conclusions of plate tectonics solved the puzzle that they would have otherwise struggled with for decades. 
As part of his weekly interviews with affected individuals, he introduced a copy of the map and asked if they recognized it. Their reactions ranged from suffocating dread to excitement bordering on euphoria, as this is the world that haunts their dreams. The only question then is why? The Adler map was subsequently divided into tectonic plates and rearranged to match the current placement of the continents. Using the data arranged from the delay experiments, the Foundation was able to estimate the most probable locations for the 4246 transmitters, classifying them as SCP-4246-2. On July 15, 1959, the FSS Ammonite, a Foundation submarine that was likely the most advanced in the world at the time, was dispatched to investigate the possible location of a transmitter in the Pacific Ocean, west of Easter Island. As the vessel neared its destination, a number of personnel on board complained of headaches, nausea, and hallucinations. At the same time, radar equipment began to pick up a large, mobile object following the submarine at a stalking distance. Believing it to be another submarine, the Ammonite pinged the object, but received no response. The unidentified object then disappeared from radar, only to reappear hours later. Despite the presence of this object and the deteriorating mental status of the crew, the Ammonite was ordered to continue with its mission. Radar then began to pick up abnormalities on the seafloor, with searchlights revealing what appeared to be a sprawling megalithic city. The black ruins reflected no light and displayed strange architecture resembling that of no terrestrial civilization. Minutes after this discovery, the crew of the Ammonite erupted in an apparent mutiny, and the vessel was ordered to resurface but its ballast tanks were damaged, possibly by sabotage. Radio communication remained online, but suffered significant interference, and while the Ammonite was able to communicate with command, messages from command could not be received. A rescue mission was considered infeasible at the time, but the radio remained active, revealing how the crew succumbed to delirium, followed by bloodshed. The final transmission received from the Ammonite reads, The rest are dead. Only I remain. While they fought like fools, I saved my strength and bided my time. The last man left standing was near death when I approached. He has joined the others now. The gods speak to me. This isn't a tragedy. It's fate. The Guardian was made to protect their secrets. I have painted myself in the blood of the Fallen. I, and I alone, am worthy. The tendrils coil around my heart. This, this is their love. Please, embrace me. The wreckage of the Ammonite was never found and in 1977, remotely operated underwater vehicles were deployed to the area where the ruins were sighted, but no evidence of the ruins were found. 
Despite the lack of physical evidence, however, the location remains a strong transmitter of 4246. Some of the Type B individuals were brought to this location, at which point they became excitable and expressed some differing reactions. One stated that the tides are calling in their name, and their soul is below, entangled among the tendrils. They then became incoherent and spent the rest of their time struggling to free themselves from their restraints. Another stated that they are still dreaming, even after all this time. They dream of things of incomprehensible profundity. We are so small, weak and worthless. Our misbegotten race does not deserve this world. It is a cosmic joke that we even came this far. A third Type B merely screamed continuously until removed from the area. All of the Type Bs and Foundation personnel displayed shared life memories following their removal from the area, and were given amnestics to minimize the effect. A second transmitter was tracked down, also in the Pacific Ocean, discovered during an investigation in 1961 into reports of occult activity among the ruins of Nan Modal on the island of Pompeii. The island was under US administration following World War II, but similar reports of occultism were made by Japanese occupiers, including reports of unusual behavior associated with the 4246 phenomena. Locals directed Foundation operatives to the ruins, claiming that they had been overrun by the Drowned, a cult worshipping the so-called Old Gods. The Foundation confronted the cult at Nanmodal, who were found to be non-hostile and at least somewhat cooperative. The majority were natives of the island, but some were American and Japanese nationals. Though generally peaceful, the community did routinely practice human sacrifice, with those selected for sacrifice appearing to be more than willing to die for their faith. Eventually, Foundation operatives were allowed to observe the ritual in which the cultists traveled by canoe to their chosen place of sacrifice, which has since been identified as a 4246 transmitter. The offering, a young woman, appeared joyous as others tied heavy stones to her limbs, while the group chanted and anointed her in oil before consigning her to the sea. The drowned did not perceive their actions as lethal, but rather believed that they had merely facilitated her rebirth, or some manner of metamorphosis. They insisted that she would live on for eternity among the gods and their coral palaces. Much like the first transmitter, the Foundation found no physical evidence here, although both the drowned and Type B individuals claimed that there were cities on the seafloor. The drowned completely disappeared in 1963, although bodies would occasionally wash ashore in the following months, suggesting that the entire community committed mass suicide by drowning. Some of the Type B individuals brought along provided some meaningful statements while in the area. One stated that what the Foundation seeks is here, but anchored elsewhere. Don't let reality deceive them. The hungry earth devours, 
but the firstborn will never truly die. They exist outside of the cycle. He then asks Dr. Gartner if he's had that dream again, and begins to discuss some highly sensitive information which has since been expunged. Another Type B stated that the sunken city awaits, and that all is black where there once was light. They are the gods that were, and shall be again. Soon, everyone will see. A third transmitter was located in the Arctic Ocean, with the Foundation originally encountering evidence of it as far back as 1918, following reports of an abandoned village containing occult paraphernalia on an isle in the Faroe Islands. Foundation agents discovered that the missing inhabitants were all members of the Church of St. Jonah, a cult outwardly presenting itself as a Protestant Christian sect. Among the recovered non-anomalous artifacts was a 54-kilogram stone statue depicting a vaguely anthropoid entity with the exaggerated torso of an obese and or pregnant human female, the head of an anglerfish, the protruding spines of an echinoderm, and appendages resembling serpents or tentacles. A journal belonging to the apparent founder and leader of the cult was discovered within the abandoned chapel, and were provided with a number of sections from it, translated from their original Danish. The 13th of September, 1904 The church has sent me to this desolate island to replace a pastor who's been deceased for decades. Faith, it seems, has little place in this village. Perhaps the heathen spirit of our ancestors lingers more strongly among such isolation. I should not complain. For the church, in its mercy, has allowed me a chance to redeem myself. Perhaps for once the rumors and accusations of my past won't follow. The 5th of October, 1904 my congregation is small, and primarily comprised of the wives and children of fishermen. To protect their husbands, they ask for the blessings of Jonah, but never our Lord and Savior. How easy it is for the veneration of saints to devolve into idolatry. The men are a disagreeable lot, who take to drink the moment they set foot on dry land. These drunkards view my status as an unmarried man with suspicion and have accused me of fornicating with their wives or of the crime of sodomy. These fools have no trouble hurling such contradictions. Lord, grant me patience. The 22nd of December, 1904. The call is stronger here. I had begged the church to send me somewhere inland for this very reason, like Herning or Silkborg, anywhere but the islands. It was not a seizure, but that is how they justified my freedom. Just an accident, unavoidable. But it wasn't. I remember it all with such clarity. It should have been a simple baptism, the way the infant gargled and choked. I held her down, 
let her lungs fill with holy water until the bubbles ceased to rise. I hear the call of the deep. O Lord, protect me. The 10th of January, 1905. The abyss speaks to me of betrayal and murderous plot. Captain Absalon's wife is pregnant, but he knows that the unborn child cannot be his. Yes, it has shown me his secret shame, and the guilt of Dagger, a supposed friend for whom he bears no suspicion. The captain is not an intelligent creature. He is a drunken beast of rage and humiliation, and his ale-sickened mind has convinced him that I am the true father. He and his brothers plot their revenge, seeking my demise. But I will not act. Not yet. Let them come. I am ready. The 2nd of February, 1905. The conspirators breached my sanctum last night. I told them the truth and offered them a chance to walk away. They made their choice. Now their entrails decorate the village. It never had to come to this. I stood in the town center, baptized by the blood of criminals, and awaited the dawn. When the rest awoke, they were witness to my glory. Terror will ensure their obedience. The abyss whispers its secrets, and I am its prophet. The Christ God is dead. The deep gods are eternal. Date unknown. The true faith is triumphant. The last of the non-believers have been purged, bound and thrown on a scary at ebb. Their sacrifice will appease the deep gods, but only for so long. Preparations must be made to ensure a steady and sustainable harvest in the future. Date unknown. The gods have seen fit to bless my body with renewed vigor and a singular carnality. In my dreams I hunt for pearls among the sea foam and awaken to passions that had once caused such shame. Many women were rendered widowed by the purge, and I have claimed them as my brides. This received no protest. Indeed, they felt honored. The events surrounding the Church of St. Jonah were classified as a possible extranormal incident, and the case was reopened in 1964 due to its notable similarities to 4246-related phenomena. The village itself had been raised due to Foundation Protocol at the time, but Type B individuals brought to the former site were able to detect a strong 4246 frequency originating from the distant north. The signal was tracked down, but also lacked any sort of physical evidence for the transmission. The Foundation did, however, find a number of shipwrecks on the sea floor in the area, including fishing and whaling vessels, canoes, and Norse longships. 
It's unknown how they managed to make it so far within the Arctic Circle, but it's presumed that those who had traveled here had no intention of surviving the journey. One Type B stated that it is the final linchpin to hold it all together. They had no interest in land empires. With the North, they made themselves whole. The dream belonged to everyone. Another shouted that we should drown ourselves and complete the circle. The sea will remake you, and your lungs will learn to take in water. We all must drown so that they might return. The individual then proceeded to bite off their own tongue and suffocate through the inhalation of blood. A third individual stated that this is but an echo, and we are far from the true source. They buried their heart in ice. It is black and cold, and the heart longs for light. In total, the Foundation discovered 21 different transmitting locations, with no obvious pattern to their current geographical location. When superimposed over a map of the supercontinent Pangaea, as it existed 300 million years ago, however, the transmitters form a pattern that maximizes reach over open distances. Based on the comment from one of the Type B individuals about what they seek being anchored elsewhere, a Foundation doctor hypothesized that the transmitters have been purposefully hidden through dimensional manipulation. Upon revisits, Kant counters revealed a high degree of dimensional instability around the transmitter locations, and the doctor further hypothesized that the transmitters are tethered outside of the baseline reality by some unknown means. Three Scranton reality anchors were modified to endure an aquatic environment, and were then triangularly placed around the estimated position of the first transmitter they found, in the Pacific Ocean. On August 7, 1965, the anchors were activated, triggering the emergence of a 600-meter-tall, quadruple-helix-shaped structure, composed of a smooth and seamless black material. This object remained anchored to baseline reality for 1 minute and 26 seconds, until the sudden obliteration of the anchors, presumably due to a dimensional tethering overload event. A second attempt was made the following day with a second transmitter location, although this had similar results, lasting only 55 seconds. The Foundation decided not to continue this line of testing, as the hypothesis had been proven, and reality anchors are presumably pretty expensive to make. It was thus theorized that SCP-4246 functions as a worldwide network of some kind, although its purpose remains unknown. It's possible that individuals being affected by the frequency is only a side effect of a far greater phenomena. If the goal of the transmitters was just to affect people like this, they could have accomplished it by simpler means, such as with memetics. The plot thickens, though, as reports of unusual seismic activity in Antarctica were released, with the unusual bit being their timing. 
The activity occurred at the same exact time as the Foundation's first test, for exactly 1 minute and 26 seconds, and again at the same time as the second test, for 55 seconds. The epicenter of these events was traced to a region beneath the glaciers, so operatives from MTF Delta-21, the abominable snowmen, were deployed to the area. There they discovered a previously unrecorded settlement, determined to have been built and operated by Nazi Germany. It had been damaged and abandoned for reasons not immediately discernible and there was a kilometer-wide pit nearby, alongside industrial digging equipment. Recovered documents confirmed that the excavation efforts here were part of an operation run by the Ananerbe Obscura Corps, a Nazi subgroup of the SS tasked with the study and the containment, destruction, and creation of anomalies. The operation had been conducted to recover evidence of a supposed lost civilization, as the group had been aware of the 4246 anomaly since at least the early 1930s, and had been conducting their own research into it, unbeknownst to the Foundation. Through their analysis of 4246 afflicted individuals, they deduced that there was something of significance here, and they regarded this theoretical civilization as some manner of master race though this conclusion was based entirely on unfounded pseudo-scientific and supremacist beliefs. Unfortunately, most of their research appears to have been intentionally destroyed, but the amount of resources deployed here, along with the apparent urgency present, suggest more than a scholarly interest in 4246. It's believed that their ultimate goal was to weaponize the anomaly, although how they'd accomplish that remains unknown. Signs of conflict were found throughout the settlement, the area littered with empty shell casings and frozen corpses. The docks had been razed and all ships had been intentionally scuttled, while excavation machines had been sabotaged and drained of fuel. Journal entries and scattered memos describe growing animosity between laborers and their overseers. The project did, however, ultimately uncover the presence of an artificial structure beneath the ice. Classified as SCP-4246-3, it displays strange architecture and is composed of an unusually strong and seamless material closely resembling obsidian. Spectrum analysis of this material has uncovered constantly shifting symbols designed for those capable of perceiving light in frequencies outside the human visible spectrum. The structure also displays an anomalous impact on sound, with a whisper spoken within its interior reverberating and increasing in volume for minutes. Individuals who remain near the ruins will eventually begin to hear the thoughts of anyone in their proximity, with continued exposure may resulting in the development of memory overlap. One example involved a Foundation operative who came to believe he shared the same wife as his partner. Thoughts and memories will continue to blur until the afflicted individual is rendered mentally incapable or catatonic, although this can be corrected with amnestics if treated early. Attempts to navigate the ruins proved difficult due to the sheer number of steep drops and inclines, 
along with the extreme perceptual abnormalities that occur within. There's evidence that much of the structure, if not all of it, was within the ocean prior to the late Cenozoic Ice Age 33 million years ago. Since there's no way to protect against the anomalous effects of the ruins, the vast majority of it remains inaccessible, although ground-penetrating radar has revealed that the entire complex is larger than New York City. The Foundation did manage to recover a journal from one of the ruins' tunnels, belonging to one of the lost German laborers. It states that they worked the laborers like slaves, and wouldn't tell them why other than saying that it's for the glory of the fatherland. The laborer did not trust his overseers, referring to them as strange, and stating that they cast malignant looks at the laborers. The laborer later writes that he heard the voice of Johannes, but his mouth didn't move. He also writes that he remembers their mother and that she must be saddened by their absence, but then crosses this out and writes that his mother is dead and Johannes is not his brother, so what is this? He writes that he suffers strange dreams in this place, and he's not the only one. They have all seen the black city beneath the ice, a kingdom older than Adam. He then writes that the stones sing to them, and they are trespassing on holy ground. Later, he states that plans have been set in motion, and they will show them what the gods have shown them. The black city is alive with light, and they will come to understand its beauty. They cannot return, however, as the Fuhrer would taint it, so nobody can leave this frozen land alive. Another MTF was brought into the ruins to map out its interior, one resistant to telepathic, cognitohazardous, and mimetic anomalies through extensive training, mental conditioning, and surgical augmentation. Much of the interior was found to be flooded, so the construction of dams and drainage systems was necessitated to continue. After eight years of exploration and the establishment of various base camps, the MTF completed their survey. It still wasn't safe for others to enter the ruins, so research was conducted indirectly via live video feed. At the lowest level of the complex is a spherical chamber with an estimated volume of 720,000 square meters, containing SCP-4246-4, an organic mass primarily composed of neurons and glial cells, the two broad classes of cells found in the brains of all naturally occurring terrestrial species. The mass fills 70% of the chamber, with tendrils extending throughout the interior of the complex, making its true size unknown. Its cells are alive, despite lacking any obvious means of preservation, with veins transferring blue blood throughout the cluster. It is submerged in water, and protected by a translucent dome. After thorough analysis, it was determined that the mass is a fully functional brain, though one of unnatural size and complexity, with one doctor describing it as a quantum computer compared to the human brain's abacus, although even that would be too comprehensible. 
It's currently hypothesized that the 4246 frequency is caused by the brain waves of this mass, with the transmitters designed to receive and further transmit it throughout the world, and potentially beyond. The mass appears to be expanding this brainwave across the world through a neural network, composed of both the transmitters and the neurons of all living things. It's believed that it is ultimately scanning the entire planet in a continuous cycle, gathering information for reasons still unknown, and that afflicted individuals are collecting some of this information like a filter, their mental instability growing with decades of unintended contamination. The majority of 4246 researchers came to accept the Tethian Civilization Hypothesis, which posits that a specific civilization, presumably long extinct, was responsible for the creation of 4246 and all related anomalous objects. It's believed that the Tethians represent a non-human, primarily aquatic civilization, dating back at least 250 to 300 million years ago, that survived the Permian-Triassic extinction event and flourished until the Cretaceous-Paleogene extinction event approximately 66 million years ago. Creations linked to this civilization show evidence of anomalous craftsmanship, their constructions seemingly impossible by the standards of modern human artifice. It's feared that most of their ruins have since been permanently lost, and it appears that they were aware of what would happen to the seafloor in their absence, and purposefully constructed this complex on a relatively safe part of the Antarctic plate. Since this wasn't done for the transmitters, which have been dimensionally anchored elsewhere, it's presumed that the non-anomalous preservation of this complex was of singular importance. Not much is known about the species themselves, although they were aquatic and probably had appendages, although it's possible that their telepathic abilities extended to telekinesis, which might explain their seamless and delicately shaped architecture. It's highly unlikely that their technology evolved along paths comparable to humanity, as they likely never harnessed fire or electricity. It's believed that instead they mastered some form of bioengineering and biocomputation, with their ability to alter reality also firmly established by the current state of the transmitters. It's speculated that the massive brain was designed not only as a living repository of knowledge, but also as a secondary hive-like mind. It may include the memories of all minds, Tethian or other, that have existed since its creation. The species did not communicate as we do, instead relying more heavily on sensation than description, with symbols, colors, and vibration working together to directly invoke the feelings of its creator, directly transferring information between individuals without the problematic tool of language. It's improbable that they had a concept of words as we would recognize them. Their civilization did flourish, however, expanding across the entire Panthalassa superocean, and despite the violent compulsions displayed by certain afflicted individuals, 
There exists no evidence to suggest that the Tethians were a combative people. If you recall from earlier, there are actually three different types of people affected by 4246, and it's time to learn about Type C, locked behind a classified file. Joseph Adler theorized that there were three types of people. Sleepers, who are seemingly unaffected by the 4246 phenomena. Dreamers, who are reactive to the phenomena, though vague and distorted. And the Awakened, who are capable of embracing the true reality of 4246. The Awakened were entirely hypothetical, though Adler believed himself close to achieving this state of being. Project Awakened Dreamer began in 1988 with an attempt to better understand the 4246 anomaly as well as to potentially communicate with the big brain itself through the creation of a new variant of affected individuals, classified as Type C. These awakened subjects were genetically engineered to act as superior receivers of the signal, with a 250% mass increase of the pineal gland, a 400% mass increase of the cerebral cortex, and an estimated 1200% increase of neurons compared to the average adult human. These changes have necessitated the surgical enlargement of the cranium, and they also receive a steady supply of perception-altering chemicals, including DMT. Unfortunately, Type Cs suffer spastic teraplasia and a significantly higher risk of epileptic seizure, brain aneurysm, cerebrovascular accident, and acute myocardial infarction, necessitating advanced life support procedures and continuous intravenous medication. The majority of Type Cs were created from Type Bs, typically those that were most likely to self-terminate in the future or die from other 4246-related fatalities. The process itself has proven to have around a 70% mortality rate. Dr. Joan Henrika, head of the project, released a statement addressing the ethical concerns that some have about the project. She states that the project is not cruel, although perhaps cold, but it is entirely necessary. Type C's do not suffer in vain, and their life is not that much different than their lives as Type B's, where they were bound in straitjackets and locked in a cell. Prior to containment, most of them were ravaged by the effects of 4246, and were compelled towards self-mutilation, suicide, and murder. They can't simply destroy the organic mass as it's been with us, engulfing our minds, since long before the dawn of man, so they have no way of knowing how much it has influenced us at this point. Project Awakened Dreamer is their only viable option at this time, and if you can't offer a better solution, she suggests you stop bothering the ethics committee with complaints, as this is the foundation, where they do what they do, because they must. One specific Type C turned out to be the most capable of their kind, displaying a heightened affinity for both receiving and transmitting information via paranatural means. She was taken to the organic mass by the MTF, and an interview was conducted remotely. 
She was equipped with psi inhibitors that were disabled one by one to increase her connection. Upon disabling the first one, she states that she sees black cities and a billion unblinking eyes staring back at her, with water filling her lungs. Upon disabling the second one, she trembles and says that she is lost among the tendrils and no longer struggles for air. She's cold and numb, but comfortably so, and she hears her mother calling her home, singing to her with light and colors. She's being called back to the gardens of her ancestors, and she is with her sisters. The song grows dim, but there is security in the darkness, and they should be simple and without light, or the beast will find us. She then slumps forward and says that the song is a distant memory, with the old radio playing only static. The colors remain, but the meaning is lost. We are so lost. Our children are born small and frail, with light so terribly dim, and their children are as dark as the void between stars. They live short and miserable lives, and have come to hate themselves. Our soul has been shattered and scattered. They squabble and fight, and can no longer hear the song, but this was our sacrifice to make. In the end, none of us will recognize our own, but light cannot return until the time is right. The third inhibitor is disabled, and she begins to hemorrhage blood out of her face. She says that she is experiencing everything, but she cannot understand it, and begins to cry. She feels it speaking to her from inside, with its tendrils carving a wordless litany upon her mind. She screams and asks what it wants from her, as she drowned her own children for it, thinking that that's what it wanted. She demands that it tell her what to do and to embrace her. The doctor talking to her tells her not to just receive, but to attempt to transmit to the mass with her mind. She begins screaming, the volume increasing to abnormal levels. She violently thrashed her head side to side as a 300 plus decibel sound wave was unleashed, followed by a psychic backlash felt by anyone within a 14 million square kilometer area. This reaction lasted for approximately three and a half minutes, triggering fits and seizures among 4246 affected individuals across the world. The complex itself underwent an immediate transformation, with walls and floors moving as if they were liquid. The material returned to a solid state after completely reshaping the interior, with the Type C and 12 MTF members believed to have been destroyed due to the event. The provisional site built at the entrance suffered vibrational related damage requiring extensive repairs, and personnel were rendered catatonic by the psychic backlash. After regaining consciousness, the personnel displayed apparent knowledge of hypothetical science and technology far beyond current understanding, including subjects which haven't yet been speculated, even within science fiction. 
These included dimensional folding, warp field manipulation, neuroelectrogravitics, cosmic language simulation, organic quantum entanglement communication, and many others. Experimentation in any of these fields has yet to become feasible, resulting in depression and frustration among impacted personnel, and a significantly increased rate of suicide, although the manner of self-termination has yet to involve drowning. Foundation operatives sent to recover casualties in the complex discovered some further changes as well. The seamless, obsidian-like material has become luminescent, with a number of continuously shifting colors and undulating symbols. Separated, these lights and symbols have no apparent effect, but the combination forms an exceptionally potent cognitohazard, capable of triggering rapid cerebral hemorrhaging even among members of the MTF trained to resist it. Manned exploration of the complex has now become strictly prohibited unless directly authorized by Dr. Henrika. The last addendum is a message from a doctor working on the 4246 project sent to Dr. Henrika. It reads, Dr. Henrika, No doubt the rumors of my findings have already reached you. Please know that I would never bring this to your attention unless I was absolutely certain of its importance. I am fully aware of the extreme skepticism with which my research is being met. It appears that everyone has their pet theory of who the firstborn really were, and aren't too comfortable with anything that clashes with theirs. I, like everyone here, stand on the shoulders of the giants that came before us. Baker, Gartner, and the rest opened the way. They did not live to see the truth, and perhaps neither shall we. But I believe that my discovery will bring us closer. I apologize if I sound overdramatic, but it's hard to contain my excitement. Before I get into the details, consider this. What if the Tethians never went extinct? What if they are hiding in plain sight, but are no longer recognizable as the advanced species they once were? Evolution isn't some straight line towards intellectual and physical superiority. Do you remember the words of Type C number 0016? Be safe, be silent, be simple and without light. During a routine sweep of news media following the September 12, 1992 incident, I uncovered some fascinating correlations. All relevant data is contained in the attachment, and I urge you to peruse it with an open mind. As you'll see, reports of SCP-4246 symptoms have steadily decreased. This is not to suggest that the anomaly is on the path towards neutralization, far from it, but that something has fundamentally changed. As you can see from my data, there are a non-coincidental number of reports from aquariums, marine biologists, and private owners describing erratic and otherwise abnormal behavior coinciding with the incident of September 12, 1992. It occurred globally and lasted for approximately three and a half minutes, according to observers. 
the marine biology department can back me up on this, as their own specimens created rhythmic patterns with their appendages, all identical despite being completely isolated from each other. And all seem transfixed with a specific direction. Regardless of their current position, they all faced towards SCP-4246-3's location as if it were some kind of mecca. In recent years, many new discoveries have been made regarding their intelligence. They've always been clever creatures, more clever than they had any right being considering their short lifespans and asocial behavior. Reports of tool use, even degrees of socialization and cooperation, are growing increasingly common. I initially dismissed this as a consequence of improving research, that such behavior has always been, and that we are merely recording it for the first time. It would have certainly been the simplest explanation, but it doesn't hold against the overwhelming evidence. This sudden divergence isn't limited to the psychological, as physiological changes are being reported as well. Mutants have been discovered, altered across species by genes shared through common ancestry. They are growing larger, stronger, and even more alien. Thankfully, these changes aren't occurring simultaneously, as these mutants remain relatively rare and are usually misidentified. My hypothesis explains many of our unanswered questions. Why haven't paleontologists discovered evidence of this race? Because the fossil record is biased against soft-bodied invertebrates. What other fully aquatic creatures would have had the brains and physical ability to manipulate tools? A fish might be able to use a twig with its mouth, or a crustacean could grip something with its pincer, but neither would have the necessary dexterity to construct the basic tools that would lead to the development of civilization. And cetaceans are off the table. Mammals wouldn't have even existed yet. It all seems so obvious now. I don't believe that their current state was forced on them. They had to change, lest something terrible would be drawn to this world, some inconceivable threat that took insult to their intelligence. Be simple and without light, or the beast will find us. They could have fled this dimension, but instead chose the darkness of a long sleep, letting their minds and bodies atrophy as nature erased nearly every trace of their civilization. Perhaps they couldn't bear to leave a world they stewarded for so long. I fear they won't take kindly to our destructive mismanagement of the planet in their absence. SCP-4246-4 has awaited them this entire time, and something we did convinced it to proceed with its primary purpose. As beyond us as they were, the Tethians weren't gods. They were cephalopods. So, cephalopods, which include squids and octopi, were once far more intelligent than their current state, and actually lived in a flourishing civilization hundreds of millions of years ago. Their technology was fundamentally different than humanity's, but extremely advanced nonetheless, capable of hiding things away in other dimensions. They also were a telepathic species, and eventually created a massive brain to function as a hive mind, containing all of the memories of every living thing, 
Thanks to this brain and the transmitters located around the globe, their telepathic frequency has been present among humanity since our start. And so we can't know what would happen if the Foundation really tries to contain or destroy the brain or the frequency, thus its object class of Archon. The Tethians, sensing that their level of technology was drawing the attention of something incredibly dangerous, decided to go into hiding. Rather than slipping away to some other dimension, though, they decided to simply abandon their civilization and regress intellectually and physically into the common creatures we know today. The question that remains, then, is what will continue to happen with this species as time goes on, and the brain has been messed with. The Foundation's research indicated that they weren't a very violent species, but they've never met humanity. SCP often brushes up against the genre of cosmic horror and Lovecraftian horror, but SCP-4246 definitely wears the influence on its sleeve. Not only is the idea of a whole species lurking under the oceans and building massive alien cities pretty creepy, making them practically completely foreign to our understanding is a nice cherry on top, along with the revelation that they're not a lost species, just a hidden one. 